Good morning, Betsy. How are you? Hey, Chastity. Doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for joining us today. So I love your family and I love you. Thank you're you. one of my favorite people <laughs> and you're a super power advocate, super powerful advocate. So I wanted to have you on and get to know, let the audience know and let all of us know a little bit more about you and your daughter and your family. So why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling us about uh, your kiddos and your family and your husband? Okay, thanks. Um, well, first of all, I think you are a super powerful advocate and I remember moving here in 2012 and not knowing anyone and seeing your beautiful family in church and just wanting to know you because I could just see how much love there was and how awesome you all were. So um, you're one of my heroes. So thank you oh for gosh. that. Thank you. <laughs> um, you're welcome. So um, my husband, Jared, and I have been married for almost 18 years next month. Um, we met as students at Texas A&M and... Ooh. <laughs> and, for all, for all um, the non-Aggies, that's an annoying thing that Aggies do everywhere. I'm not an Aggie, but it's this is one a, part a of our I have yeah. a niece and a nephew there, so I feel like I'm allowed now. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, we met at A&M, um, got married, moved to DFW. Um, I always wanted four kids. He was more in, like, the two kids boat. But um, after having our first two kids, he was like, okay, fine, we'll have more. Um, so we have a 15-year-old boy, a 13-year-old boy, a 10-year-old girl, and an almost five-year-old girl. And um, our five-year-old is the reason I'm on your podcast today. Um, Sophie is our little ball of joy. She is um, our... She is our super happy, awesome mood lifter. And, um, she has Angelman syndrome and we had never heard of that syndrome until, um, we got her diagnosis when she was just over two years old. And, um, it's basically a gene called UBE3A on the 15th chromosome that is affected. And so, um, in some people, there's a deletion and some people there's a mutation and then there's even more rare genotypes. But Sophie has the mutation genotype. And so the in all of us healthy, atypical or I mean, sorry, typically developing people, um, we have a copy from our mom and a copy from our dad. And in people with Angelman syndrome, the UBE3A is only actually in all people, the UBE3A gene is only read on the mother's copy. The father's copy is silenced in all of us. And okay, so I feel like I'm back in my um, biology classes in college yeah. and the, like access knowledge that I haven't used in a yes. long time. Yes. I want to so, real quick say yes. that Sophie is like a real life angel. Aww. Like if there was an angel who was, a, who was like embodied, like her hair is so soft, like you would imagine angels to be and her demeanor is so sweet. And I remember in PT school, learning about Angelman syndrome and them saying the reason it's called this, which I don't know if this is true. This is what I remember. The reason it's called this is because these children actually act like angels. Like they have the oh. best, most beautiful, sweetest demeanor. Is that true? Or is it like named after? That is someone? not true, but very okay. sweet. <laughs> well, they that's are, what I heard no, in my I, head. Maybe they didn't no, say that. I don't want to like no. throw my PT school under the bus here, no. but uh, I don't know. Anyway, well, that's how I I'm very happy to hear that you even heard of Angelman syndrome in PT school 
because um, it is, you know, in 1965, Dr. Harry Angelman in the UK, somewhere over there across the pond, um, he discovered like three or more individuals who had the same characteristics. And so they actually named it, I, it's a horrible name, but they named it the happy puppet syndrome because a lot of these children, I mean, they oh are gosh. so happy. They have beautiful smiles, but they do tend to walk with a wide stance and their hands out. And so, oh, hence like, yes. the, like the, the, what is it called? The puppets that they used to have on strings. Like the marionette. That's yes. what trying to access. Yeah. So then in later years, I don't know exactly, but that was 1965. And then I think in 97, they actually identified the gene that was affected. And so at that point, they renamed the syndrome, which I'm very glad about, um, Angelman syndrome. And so it has a better ring. It really does. I mean, Um, yeah, I, I think it's cute, but yeah. 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 So they do um, a lot of the children that I've seen with Angelman syndrome, they do look like, like little cherubs or something. I mean, they're just like, so happy. They've got like fair skin, fair hair. Sometimes they have lighter eyes. Um, Out of the six of us in our family, she's definitely the lightest complected. Um, Her hair does not look like ours. It's like a lighter cherry blonde or something, strawberry blonde. um, And we're all dark brown. But yeah, it's it's interesting how that all affects their demeanor and their appearance. And I have no science background um, at all, well, but I have learned now, sister. so much. You don't need a piece yes. of paper. This is the thing. This is the reason I want moms on this podcast, because no one's more of an expert about something than what the mom is about what her kid has. Absolutely. Like, you just rattled off this crazy stuff that I learned in molecular biology and genetics. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's been a long oh time. Oh, my gosh. Like, so, uh, yeah, you are the expert in this. Isn't it crazy, Betsy, to think about, like you said, in 1997, they found the gene. Like, if you think about that, really, that's only how many years was that? Like 26 years ago? Like we were on like 10 years ago. I will say, yeah. uh, Oh, we're we're on the like very beginning end, not end, the very beginning of, I feel like these like breakthroughs. It's the same with. With Dominic, from the time he was born, they were like, he he has a mutation that nobody, like, they don't know. They've never even seen it. And then now I'm in this group online and there's like lots, dozens and dozens of kids wow. that just in this small span of time. So I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like we're in an exciting time right now, like just at the beginning of all of this, of like really understanding different genetic disorders and the genes. And Definitely. The so. Yeah, we, when Jared and I, we took about a month to absorb her diagnosis and just figure out what we could learn about it before we told anyone. And by the time we told the kids, we had all this good information and we were like, look, you know, she had started physical therapy at nine months. She wasn't diagnosed until like 26 months. And Mm -hmm. then when we went to our first walk, you know, and we met some individuals with Angelman who are in their 20s or 30s, you know, they did not benefit from any of that early intervention or just having a name for the diagnosis and knowing exactly what what was affecting their child. So we always say like, we are just so fortunate that Sophie was born in this time where we Mm -hmm. can absolutely advocate for her, talk to other parents who have the same diagnosis, figure out best practices 
and just do all of our best to get her the best care and the best life that she can have. So yeah, um, absolutely. hopefully we're can doing you... that. She's very happy. She is. Yeah. She always makes my day. So I know <laughs> Betsy and I know each other in real life. Um, IRL for you teenagers out there. I have teenagers. So now <laughs> I know these cool acronyms, but, um, and so I have the privilege of getting to see Betsy sometimes. And so, I mean, <laughs> Betsy, I do have the privilege of getting to see Betsy, but also Sophie. That's what I'm going to say. And our oldest boys are very good friends. So we're all kind of intertwined a little bit. Betsy, can you tell us a little bit about your process of having Sophie, kind of having that intuition that something was, because I remember you going through this and mm -hmm. talking to me a little bit about it, this like, this intuition that something wasn't quite right, but you weren't real sure, kind of that process. And then what was it like for you when you finally got a diagnosis? Definitely. So she's our fourth. Um, and actually, I had had two miscarriages before her, like one ectopic pregnancy that ruptured was very traumatic. And then a 20 week loss, a little girl we named Emily. So we had, you know. That. We thank you. We had had our first three, no trouble, right on track, you know, and then it took us a lot longer to get Sophie and we definitely wanted her. But um, after going through the two losses, um, my doctor knew that I was kind of on high alert for everything. So she brought me in for a lot of sonograms. Um, I got to see Sophie. I mean, she was like the most photographed baby in utero. Um, I think I have like 38 sonogram images, but anyway, um, oh, really? so, yeah. So awesome. when, even when, I mean, I didn't have that many sonograms with the others, but even when I was pregnant, I feel like, um, you know, she was not moving a ton and whenever we would do a sonogram, she was always kind of like covering her face or she always had her hands in her face. And I mean, that didn't seem like weird to me, but then I was like, it's just, it's, it's different from my other ones because they were always right. moving and, you know, all and looking that. back, probably you're like, Oh, okay. yeah. 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 So, um, I went into, um, I went into an appointment for decreased fetal movement and they decided to induce the always next fun, day. Yes. <laughs> because she was just, she was done baking. Um, uh, it was after 37 weeks. And so went in for an induction it turned into an emergency C-section because she was just not descending. And um, when they got her out, her um, her cord was wrapped around her neck twice. And then it was kind of like seat belted across vertically or diagonally. So mm -hmm. I'm really glad about that C-section because there's no way she was coming out otherwise. Um, and so, you know, those first two nights, we just kind of thought like, oh, my gosh, she's had a traumatic birth. And, you know, that's why she's screaming and uncomfortable and everything. And so, so she was uncomfortable when she was, she was uncomfortable from the start. And when, oh um, I mean, even in the hospital, Jared and I noticed she already had reflux and our other ones had dealt with reflux, but mm -hmm. hers was something else. So, um, we started the process of going through all the medications to see what worked. And, um, seriously, my husband is a rock star because we spent, I think it was three months. He says more like five. But we spent the first several months of her life um, awake. Like one of us would be awake holding her in the recliner for a couple hours at a time. And we would trade off 
And I mean, I nursed my babies. He did not have to be up, but he knew that I was going to turn into a zombie if he wasn't up. So he took way more. I mean, he, I don't know how he survived going to work every day and then coming home and holding a screaming baby because it wasn't like she would sleep when we held her. It was, we were holding a screaming baby for, my gosh, I don't. I didn't realize that hours. she was so uncomfortable. She was extremely uncomfortable. And when was she um, born? I'm sorry? What year was she born? Uh, 2018 in October. Okay. So it was, you know, the spring of 2019 when I think we got the right dosage down. I had also seen a lactation consultant after my fourth baby. You know, I still had to learn how to nurse someone. So, right. yeah. Um, and this is for a lesson for all the moms that feel like, like, it don't feel bad if that happens because yes. it happened to me with my fifth baby. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go it's ahead. just, they're all so different. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I think we got it under control sort of, and she was sleeping better. I mean, and when I say better, it was not like my other kids were sleeping when they were that age, but it was, you know, we were actually, Jared and I were actually getting to go to bed at the same time, you know, like around 11 o'clock. And then I would wake up around three or four to feed her. And that was a gift. Like we were just so grateful to be together for any amount of time without someone screaming while we were holding them. And so, um, yeah. So around six or seven months, I, I mean, and she was tiny. I forgot to say when she was born, she was five pounds, one ounce and very slow growing. And so, you know, I was doing everything I could to get her to put on weight and, um, So by six or seven months, the pediatrician was like, you know, she's really still small, but she's on her curve, her growth, you know, her height and weight or, you know, her BMI is okay. So um, did at this point, did you see any features like facial features or anything that you felt like didn't for your other children? I did not at that time. And um, like all of my kids have like a stork bite birthmark. And um, I did notice that she had, I don't know how to say it, like this sacral or sacral dimple. And so that was kind of the first little thing we noticed. Mm -hmm. And the doctor was like, well, you know, everything else looks normal. So, and Vivian, my third was a super late walker. She was like 17 months and three and a half, you know, three weeks. So the doctor kept saying, if she doesn't walk by 18 months, you know, we're really gonna need to get her into PT but she had like a funny crawl where she would scoot on a knee and a foot and she could hold Mm -hmm. things and get around quickly. And I mean, 18 months, she just hopped up and started walking. So with Sophie, we always had that in the back of our minds. Well, Vivian was a late walker. Maybe this is what's going on with Sophie, but she would never do tummy time because of the reflux. Mm -hmm. She would scream until she either threw up or fell asleep. So there was no like getting her head up. So a super peaceful newborn period. Right. Yes, it, it was lovely. <laughs> and so at the relaxing, same time, just I mean, like in the movies. Yes. At the same time, we were so grateful after our losses. We were like, you know, like, oh, this yeah. is not right. going to last forever. The screaming will not, it cannot last forever. We're so grateful for her. But it was a lot. I mean, for everyone, like our kids, for us. Um, but anyway, we got through that. And probably six or seven months, we noticed that she had intermittent exotropia. So that strabismus, the eye muscles were not in alignment. And so that's strabismus. And then her type of strabismus was she would have one eye intermittently, either one would turn outward. So um, 
again, that kind of threw us off track for a diagnosis because my oldest son, neurotypical, had intermittent esotropia or esotropia. So his eye would turn inward just randomly. And okay, so, so that's totally out of the ordinary for what you guys have already experienced. Yes. So we had a great ophthalmologist that we knew would be able to treat her. So um, took her in and he said, yeah, you know, this is, we're just going to do what we did with William. We're going to patch. But also she was very farsighted. So she got glasses at nine or 10 months. Which um, was so freaking adorable. <laughs> Every time they you see her, you'd be like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. They were the glasses. tiniest little purple glasses I've ever seen. Um, like they fit my daughter's dolls. They were so yeah. cute. So then we, you know, we go on for a couple of months. And at that same time, right when she got her glasses and started patching, we started physical therapy with ECI. And okay. so. And that's in Texas. That's early childhood intervention. Yes. That's the one that. They can come to your house, right, from birth to age three prior to transferring to the school district. Absolutely. And so when they first came out for the evaluation, I'm like, you know, I knew all of this was different from my other ones, but I think I probably hadn't put it all together until then. Um, Mm -hmm. that there was definitely something different. So, you know, they're asking me all kinds of developmental milestones, which totally sucks by the way but you know they're like right you know asking all kinds of things and I'm like this is not she can't do any of this you know she can't like hold her head up if I put her in a seated position she can't stay in it like she has no trunk control um and you know this is the thing Betsy I think it's really important that a lot of therapists don't so me you know me included in my old past life being a therapist before Dominic had no idea what these kind of questions do to parents. Right. That like, you don't realize that. And I mean, you have to ask them, right? So I'm not saying don't ask them. Right. But I think if they had an idea of like these little stabs that they're giving the mother, yeah, they would be a little more gentle, maybe, you know, Definitely. or like, I'm, I know this is not an easy thing to talk about. Oh, but yeah. Have to go through development. And right. I think a lot of people don't realize how difficult that is. Yeah. And I think, I mean, they did, they did a good job and the, I can't remember her name, but the lady who was actually leading the evaluation, she was hugely pregnant with like her second or third kid. And so, you know, she had been in this business a while and she has her own children. So she was very gentle. It still sucks. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And um, I think even more than the gross motor, the part that really like hit me um, was her speech. Like she had no speech. She was not making any noises um, other than screaming and pain. Um, no babbling, no mama, no dada, nothing. And so um, at that point they said, you know, she, and, and they rate you or they rate the child they or they grade them. So they're like, you know, she's on like a three month level or whatever. Oh that is really hard to hear. But um the speech, I think, was the worst part for me at like the 10 month evaluation. And then they didn't start her in speech until 18 months. So we did Why? physical therapy from 10 months on. 
and love our physical therapist. We actually, Sophie's about to be five and we're still with her. Um, she moved to a private practice. And so we're seeing her there and she's wonderful. Awesome. And I mean, she just absolutely loves Sophie and has known her through everything. She knew her through the glasses, through the patching, and then all of the mm-hmm. testing I'm going to tell you about. So um, we love Caitlin, but yeah, that is, it's just a really hard thing, but in the end, I mean, we are so grateful that we started with ECI that early, but I will tell any, any parents who are going through the diagnosis right now, or just seeking, you know, help from ECI to see if there is anything they need to be worried about. When they came to my house at 10 months, they evaluated her and they said, Hey, you know, here's this Texas Medicaid waiver wait list. Um, we don't know what's going on with Sophie, but you can definitely call and get her name on the wait list for these programs because they take a while to come available. And mm-hmm. at that time, I think I was in denial and I was like, you know, there's, she just has some gross motor delays and speech delays, it's but fine. no you need to overreact and get on this list that takes right. like 18 years to yeah, there's come actually to people talk. who need it. So yes. I'm not going to take a spot. Yeah. So I did not at that time put her on the wait list and um, didn't end up doing it until two years later. Well, no, a year and a half later. And um, she's still not at the top of the list. So I would say to any if there's anything a little bit off, I would say get your name on the list just in case you don't have to use it if you don't end up needing it. Right. And the way it works is if your name comes up and you don't need it and they call you, you just say, we don't need it anymore. Thank you. You can take me off the list. So you're not taking a spot from someone else. Like right. It, so you don't lose anything by getting on the list. Right. It, you know, and I feel like this is one thing that is not common knowledge, and it's really hard to find out for medical parents. So the way I found out about, um, so in Texas, it's called MDCP, Medically Dependent Children's Program, is a friend from PT school had a child who was had special needs or he had a lot of medical issues going on. And when my, and when um, Dominic was in the NICU, she came and she gave me this giant stack of papers. And she was like, today you need to call this number and get on this list. You need to talk to this person tomorrow. You need to do this. And I was just like, okay, okay. That's awesome. And so I got on the list. Then I went and told the case manager or whatever. Hey, just so you know, I got on this list. And she's like, oh, that's excellent. And I was like, isn't that your job? Aren't you supposed to be telling me this? Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's really hard to find out. And like, you're not told. So I don't know if you've had this, Betsy, but I distinctly remember the first time this happening, I was walking into Albertsons, which is a grocery store down here. And I had Dominic and he was in his wheelchair. And I, this mom came out and she like beeline to me. And she was like, is that your son? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, um, all right, this is what you need to know. I have a kid like yours. And like, I was thinking like, oh my gosh, we're going to make a connection, another medical mom. And she was like, I got five minutes, sister, because I am busy. And she told me like a list of like 50 things. She's like, you need to make sure you're on this list. Make sure you're on class. Make sure you're on MDCP. You know, she just like went down this list because it's hard to find that information out. So I'm actually so happy to hear that ECI told you that. I didn't know they were doing that. Makes me happy. They did. And I mean, they did not push it, which I think they were being gentle. But it took me a long time to realize like, oh, this is like a genetic abnormality mm-hmm. that is going to be with her for the rest of her life. I well, should they may not have known either, really, you know, but yeah, I, I don't, don't think know. they did. But 
anyway, so we, we have them come at 10 months. Then at, we start PT. Then at her 12 month appointment, she's still small and not doing much, but her pediatrician and I agree, you know, based on Vivian's light walking and the fact that Sophie's in PT, we're just going to see how it is. But she does schedule a 15 month weight check, which at the time I was like, I'm doing everything I can. This kid is eating like she's proportionate. I was pretty annoyed, um, but I went and then at 15 months, it was right before COVID hit and they said, okay, we want to see you again at 18 months for another weight check. I seriously almost called and canceled, or I think I did call and try to cancel the 18 month appointment, but the nurse was like, you know, we'd really like to see you, please bring her in. And so I was frustrated, but I went in and her pediatrician was like, look, we've done the Um, We've done some different blood tests. We did the microarray. Everything came back normal. So she said, I'm just going to send you to like every specialist in the Cook Children's Network. We're going to figure out what's going on here. And so for her, for being collective. Yes. So again, we totally lucked out at the timing because it was like, I think April 2020, everything had shut down and was just now reopening. And so many people had canceled their appointments with neurology and cardiology and um, endocrinology, like all the doctors that we needed to see, we were able to get into within less than two months, which is unheard of. Which is unheard of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, every medical mom knows that, like, it's very important that you go see neurology. So you call to make an appointment and they're like, our next available appointment is in three years. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, is it important or not? Yeah. So, You're like, yeah, is that's this not an emergency? Yeah. So no, this is an emergency we, in my mind right now. Yes. So after that, the endocrine tested, like, I don't even know what these mean, but like TSF3 or IGF3 binding protein, all these different things. Um, they all came back normal. Then cardiology um, tested her heart. That was normal. Um, and ev- with everything, you know, you're checking off like, oh, great. She doesn't have a heart condition. Like, this is awesome. And then you're like, but what is it? So, um, which can almost bring more anxiety. Like you don't want a diagnosis, but you kind of want a diagnosis because at least then you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, neurology ordered or neurology and endocrine wanted to test her, um, Oh my gosh, I can't think her, they wanted a brain MRI, but they wanted to also see her, what would endocrine want to see chastity? Um, well, all the levels, the Maybe thyroid, thyroid levels. Yes, thyroid. That's what it was. Okay. okay. So we go in. Ooh, do. Spot. Sorry. So we go in and do the um, MRI. And again, I had seen my then three-year-old neurotypical son, William, have an MRI when we were trying to figure out what was going on with his eyes. And it is really weird to put your three-year-old child under, but it is super weird to put your super tiny 18-month-old non-verbal child under anesthesia just for testing, you know, like for routine testing. And right. so that for was people very... people that don't know, children, if they want to get a clear image, they have to be at least partially sedated because they can't stay still long enough for them to take clear images. Yes. So it is weird. That was very nerve wracking and scary. And, you know, just because of her size, I think she still, I think she was like 18 or 17 pounds. 
And so, you know, you're just like praying that this person doing the anesthesia that day knows what they're doing. Like we're very grateful. Did you have breakfast? (laughs) You had your coffee. Right. So um, we're very grateful for our hospital system. We love Cook Children's, but it was still nerve wracking. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the one thing when I got, you know, they came out to get me and they said, your daughter's waking up from anesthesia. William had been an absolute monster when he woke up from anesthesia. Like he was, he was raging. He like, they wanted him to just eat a popsicle so he could go home. And he would not, he was just in my lap fighting me, you know, and mad. So I'm expecting that from Sophie. I'm like, this is going to be horrible, but you know, she's waking up. We'll get through it. I walk into the room and there's like three or four nurses around her bed and she's just sitting there smiling at them and like so happy. And they were like, we have never seen a kid this happy from an- like waking up from anesthesia. Like yeah. she's perfect. Yeah, so, yes. <laughs> no one else was getting seen that day. Yes. Everyone wanted to be with Sophie. So that was like another thing that I was like, whoa, that is like strangely different, but in a good way. Like we were so yeah, happy like, that she, you know. She's so happy now. That's good. Yeah. So that afternoon, the neurologist nurse calls me and she says, okay, we got Sophie's report back. She, um, the doctor is going to call you tomorrow, but she has Chiari malformation and, you know, the doctor will call you tomorrow. That's basically all she says. So then (laughs) I, so I So I latch on to this Chiari one malformation, go do all the Googling you know, find all the web, all the Facebook pages of support groups. And I'm like, we're going to figure this out. And, you know, I called Jared and I'm like, Hey, we have, we have an answer. It's Chiari malformation. That's probably why she's delayed. She's probably having like neck and shoulder pain and headaches and all this. And, um, so very, I, I will do a spoiler alert. The cause of her delays was not the Chiari malformation, but at the time, you know, a lot of it made sense. And so it's the back of the skull is too small to house the entire brain. So the cerebellum pushes down a little bit and it's outside of the skull. And that can also come, or it's often accompanied by um, scoliosis and or um, the, what's the tethered cord. So like the bottom of the spinal cord is like tethered and twisted and stuff. Mm-hmm. So luckily they they had done during the MRI a full spinal MRI too. And they could tell me immediately that it was not tethered cord. We were only dealing with Chiari 1, which the neurologist then told me, um, this is just an incidental finding. It's not a big deal. But I had already like decided it was a big deal and it was the cause of her delays and jumped in, you know, with both feet. So right. we found a... Kiari expert neurosurgeon in Dallas and went to see him. I think this was like in June that she was diagnosed with that. And we got in to see him in August and, you know, got all her records over to him, got all of her imaging and made a big, you know, Jared took off work that day. We went to see him. And again, he was like, yeah, she has it, but I don't think that's why she's delayed. And Mm. again, it's like, we're starting over, you know, Square You're line. Like, I'm going to find no another answers. neurologist who's going to agree with yeah. me. How about that? Like, are you really an expert? I'm basically a doctor by now. <laughs> yes. So that was in August of um, 2020. And then, you know, there were a couple of months where we were just like, okay, well, this is Sophie. We're just going to see 
what happens? You know, we're going to continue with the PT. She had started speech at 18 months and we were just going to see what happened. Well, then in October, we had just a regular follow-up Zoom with her neurologist and we talked for a while. He's like, how's it going? What's she doing? Everything. And then at the very end of the call, he said, okay, well, if she develops seizures, give me a call and we'll run a CP panel. And I was like, well, why don't we just run it now? Like, I don't want to wait for seizures. I want to know right. now if she has You're cerebral like, so palsy. Super anxious. I'm never going to sleep <laughs> yes. again. Um, yes. So he's like, like if she okay. explodes, then let me yes. know. And then we're yeah. going to, yeah. Yeah. It's so, so normal to them, the you department. know? Like what? it's so normal. And so it's like, yeah. it's not a big deal. She just has a seizure. Yeah. Let me know. And you're like, oh, hold on. Sorry. Come again. Yeah. What? what Exactly. So um, I, I said, let's just do it now because I don't want to wait. And so he had um, this buccal swab kit mailed to our house. And I Which very carefully, yes, and it was, like, and it was use? like, it was like, you have to like, don't touch anything to the swab and don't touch her teeth to the swab. And she can't eat a drink for eight hours or maybe four hours. I don't remember before the swab, like there was so many rules. And I was so nervous. You're like, why am I doing this at home? Like, yes. I feel like this is a medical procedure. Is there a trained procedure. professional? Yeah. Send a nurse. <laughs> yes. So I, um, sorry, my eyes are wetting. So I wake her up one morning, you know, I've got on gloves and I'm being very careful not to touch her teeth. And I'm very pleased with myself, get it all in the envelope, send it back by FedEx. And then I don't hear anything forever. And so I'm like... This is like, very I'm frustrating. Fine over here. Don't worry about me. I'm just, yeah, we're fine. You know. So then that was in October. Then in November, I'm not a patient person. So I call the company that's doing the testing you are and I'm a patient. like, you're oh. just a good advocate. Well, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm waiting on my daughter's results and I know that they can take a while, but I don't even see that her box has been logged into the system. And they're like, oh, yeah, we have that, but you didn't con collect enough saliva. So the test didn't work. So they just like weren't going to tell me, I guess. So they yeah. send me another one. I get the most saliva you've ever gotten. Uh, send it back. <laughs> it's and then Yes. And then on December 8th of 2020, Sophie's neurologist calls me and it was like a very short Zoom. And he's like, we've got the results. She has Angelman syndrome. It's... He was like, it's not great. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, some of these kids don't walk. They definitely don't talk. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be happy, but you know, it's, she's going to live with you forever. And like, he was very honest about it, but it just left, um, it left us very fearful for her future and, mm -hmm. you know, not excited about this diagnosis. So Jared and I, you know, I said we took like three weeks to just process it ourselves. And, and how, he, how did you all do that? Um, so I'm not a crier, but I basically just cried every night in bed. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want this for my kid. I don't want her to be weird. I don't want her to be different. I want to be able to hear her, you know, tell me things. Um, I want her to be able to tell me if someone's mean to her or if she's happy or, you know, all these things. So I kind of, I, I just want to real quick say 
that I'm so glad you used the word weird because I feel like these are yeah. honest thoughts that we actually have, but then we're not supposed to say it because we're supposed right. to just be like, oh, we're so grateful, you know, yeah. but like, I always felt like that. I'm like, yeah, um, I, yeah, right. You yeah. Want people to look at your kid as weird. So, right. You want them to be language. loved for who they are and accepted and wanted, mm -hmm. you know, you want people to want to be around them. Um, just like you want for yourself. So this is very atypical of us, by the way, like I'm, I'm not usually one to like kind of internalize things. Like I want to talk about them, but, um, at that moment I was, and then Jared was like, well, I'm going to find out, I'm going to find the best damn kid with Angelman syndrome and show them to you. So he found the, he found angelman.org which is run by the Angelman Syndrome Foundation, which is another reason that we are so fortunate to have gotten this diagnosis in 2020 and not, you know, 1987 or something. Mm -hmm. um, this organization is, there are many Angelman organizations throughout the world, but the ASF is solely focused on meeting the family, not just the individual, but the entire family where they are and just bringing them in and saying, you know what, like you've been dealt this hand of cards. It might suck, but like, you're going to be okay. And your kids are going to be okay. Your siblings are going to be okay. And we're going to help you be okay. So I think that's so important because everything's absolutely. focused on the kid with yeah. the diagnosis or the syndrome. And I mean, you know this, right? Like we yeah. both experienced this, the siblings, I mean, necessarily they come second. And yeah. I know that's not, a, like correct things to say politically correct or whatever but they do because this other person has such high needs so to have an organization that's coming in and they're like we're we're for everybody you know i yeah. think is so powerful and so important oh um, my gosh so the um the ceo of the angelman syndrome foundation is like one of my favorite people in the world amanda moore um so jared found this site and he found videos like the asf has a wall of accomplishments i think it's called and so you can put anything on there so there's like jared showed me a video of a child with angelman jumping into a pool and swimming across the pool and for him that was like look sophie can she can do stuff like this like it's not gonna be all doom and gloom her life is not gonna suck you know like She's going to be able to do things that other children do. It might not look exactly the same, but like she's going to be capable of it and we're going to help her do that. How so, did that make you feel? Oh my gosh. That was just that wall of accomplishments has been the biggest gift because so that kind of pulled me out of my funk seeing all these things. Then it also led me to meet another one of my favorite people, um, my friend Chelsea. She there was a video of her daughter Lola crawling on all fours. And that was something that we were working really hard in PT to get Sophie to do at that time. And the video has like Lola's three older siblings behind her cheering her on. And I watched that video a million times and was like, Oh my gosh, like this looks just like our family, like Sophie trying to do something and her siblings just there rallying for her. And then I looked down and it says, Lola Guido, Fort Worth, Texas. And I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we live in Fort Worth. So I see that there's 
they're in Fort Worth, Texas, and we live in Fort Worth, Texas, so I got super excited and also a little stalkerish, and like, <laughs> You're like, we're going to be time. best friends. <laughs> yes. So we spent quite a bit of time looking for this family. And luckily they have kind of a different last name. So I found this woman and sent her a Facebook message. And, you know, it's just funny that I can still look back and see our conversation at the beginning. But I'm like, yeah, I hope I'm not a total creep. But your I got to come to your house. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to be, be best, best friends. friends. What coffee do you like? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'll be over in five minutes. So, um, you know, I just told her, like, we just got a diagnosis. Um, You know, your daughter and your family look so much like ours and what we're going through. And if it's not super weird, I would love to meet you sometime. And she was wonderful, wrote right back, was like, absolutely, I would love that. So um, we started to make plans. But as you know, in the medical world, um, kids get sick. And mm-hmm. so it took us like two months to get together, but, um, that was just awesome to meet another family with the same rare diagnosis who lived like less than a mile from us at the well, time. And honestly, like to do it so soon, yeah, you know, like, I feel like it's so isolating to have a kiddo with special needs. And then on top of it, to meet someone with your same diagnosis that, you know, and then to do it so soon, that was such a gift. Yeah. And she's exactly one year older than Sophie. So it was just like, you know, everything that they were going through, we were about to go through or vice versa. So it was really nice. And then on January 2nd of 2021, Amanda Moore, the CEO of the Angelman Syndrome Foundation, um, scheduled a call with me. And just that was the absolute best part of our diagnosis. Um, She, you know, she called me up. I was like, Hey, how's it going? She was like, not how's it going, but she was like, I'm Amanda, you know, whatever. And then she goes, how are you doing? And again, I'm not a crier, but I think I just sat there crying for like three minutes. Like nobody knew to ask how I was doing besides Jared, because we hadn't told anyone yet. And so just having this wonderful person take the time to be like, Hey, how are you? Not like how Sophie or whatever. Um, that was really nice. And then she spent like 45 minutes answering all of my questions, telling me about her son. Um, she has twin boys and one of them has Angelman syndrome and telling me like, Hey, you know, I know this is all brand new and I know you're already in physical therapy and speech, but look into aqua therapy, look into hippotherapy, which is horseback riding. Um, so, and I knew about hippotherapy because my niece had done that years ago, but I just, I hadn't even gotten around to that yet, but it was awesome. You're still processing. Yes. But it was awesome that Amanda was like, you know, you don't have to do it today, but like her son Jackson's first steps were walking out of a pool because her husband, you know, just took him to the pool all the time and got him used to it. And that's how he learned to walk. So she was like, you know, just put this in your file cabinet. I have notes from our conversation that I still, you know, sometimes when I'm going to the doctor and have her big binder, I look at that and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was such like a life-changing day. Just, I got off that phone filled with so much hope and excitement. And there are a lot of therapeutics running down the pipeline for Angelman syndrome, but Amanda wasn't even pushing that. Like, you know, we're going to fix your kid or anything like Mm -hmm. that. It was like, 
Sophie's going to be okay and your family's going to be okay. And it might look different than what you had envisioned when you thought about your four kids, but like, it's going to be all right. And it's going to be better than all right. Like you're going to be filled with so much love and surrounded by so much love. And, you know, just, we just got off the phone with so much hope and just joy. So Mm. I absolutely love love her and she is the best person for the job she has because like, I really did start that conversation in, you know, like a very hopeless type of place mm-hmm. based on what I had heard I from the neurologist and what I had read on Google. Right. Google will kill you. Yeah. I, I always tell families that I work with, like, don't Google because yeah, it's I know, like, but that's the first cancer. thing you want to do when you hear don't <laughs> Google, right? I know. You're like, well, I'm going to Google it definitely now. <laughs> but I love that you said um, it gave you so much hope and joy. I feel like that's the biggest thing that like, I want people to know who are just getting new diagnoses. Like it's okay to have the mourning period and to feel sad and to feel all that stuff, but also to have hope. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're mourning this life that you thought you were going to have and this family that you thought it was going to look a certain way, but it's going to end up in the end being so much better, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that there's always happy endings because like ours right. wasn't really a happy ending, yeah. but at the same time, I feel like we had so much more joy and love and that we would have never had if we just had regular, you know what I mean? Neurotypical Definitely. Um, yeah. So I, I, I love that you said that this, like the biggest, it's the biggest piece of advice or the biggest thing that I want everyone to know. Definitely. That, and one side note, when we told the kids, so after, you know, we had processed for a while and then I had spoken with Amanda and had a little bit more knowledge about what exactly we were to expect for our whole family, for our life. Um, we told the kids at dinner one night and, um, you know, they, they were, let's see. So Sophie was two. So Vivian was like eight, Henry was 11 and William was 13. And, um, you know, they pretty much took it as we expected, you know, Vivian was very quiet and worried and, um, the boys were, you know, more interested in the science part of it. Like, how did this happen? Or, you know, what does that mean? Um, so where, you know, we tell them what, what we know, and then we ask, you know, do you have any questions? And Vivian was very quiet, but we could tell she wanted to say something. And finally she said, well, what's going to happen to Sophie when like you and dad, and then she won't say it. And so oh I gosh, said, you that know, young? she was already thinking about that. Yeah. Like she's first, so smart. So, um, she said like, what's going to happen when you and dad die? And I, I started saying, well, you know, hopefully that's going to be a very long time, but you know, there are, there are plans we can make. And then William kind of butts in and he was like, well, I mean, probably my wife and I will just let her live with us by that point. She so <laughs> and much. I will never hold him to that because that's like one thing that, you know, now that I've been in this Angelman community for two years, almost three years, um, you know, there's a lot of guilt. Like people don't want their adult children to feel guilted into mm-hmm. taking their sibling into their home um, or stuff like that. You know, we we will work something out, but I just loved like, that was like an absolute example of their personalities. Like she's thinking like, okay, we've got a plan for the worst. What's going to happen? And yeah. Will, William is just like, oh, my wife and it's I. Like it's fine. I'm like, 
I'm going like, to sure that... pick a really good wife who will, right. you know, be accepting of that, but we'll see. I mean, that, but, um, that so much like embodies the spirit of siblings with like kids who have, who kids who have siblings with disabilities. They're just absolutely. like, all right, what's next? You know, I feel like yeah. our world just comes crashing down and kids are just like, I don't know. They're just so concrete and awesome. And yeah. Like, oh yeah, of course she's just going to live with me and my wife. I'll make yeah. sure to marry someone who's cool with that. Yeah. So and then cool. Henry, uh, he said, you know, when we, when we told them like, she's, she is not expected to have any words. Like she's not expected to be verbal, but you know, we're going to work with her on AAC, like augmentative communication type of stuff. And, you know, we'll work with baby sign language and different things. And, uh, Henry, I think put it together and he was like, well, you know, that's kind of a cool thing because if she can't talk, like she can't ever say anything mean to or about anyone. And oh I was like, gosh. Oh my gosh. Like that is such a good way to look at it. Like, cause I'm just sitting here being sad. Like I'm never going to hear my daughter's voice. And right. he's saying like, that's totally preventing her from sin and, you know, offending other people and hurting other oh people verbally. So yeah, they're, so they're pretty awesome. I, I remember um, whenever we found out that Dominic was going to need a G button. I think Anthony was like five or six. I don't really remember. Anthony is my oldest. A little. And no, he wasn't. Anyway, he was eight, whatever. I don't remember. That was a million years ago. But he was I remember something. sitting all three of the kids down and saying, okay, your baby, but your, your baby brother, you know, he was a newborn still. It's like, Aww. he doesn't know how to eat through his mouth. So we're going to put a tube through his stomach and we're just going to shoot the food right into the tube, right into the stomach. And they were kind of quiet for a minute. And then Anthony goes, that is so cool. He doesn't even have to chew. But I was like, okay, we're going to be okay. okay. You know, like fine. I'm like this, like mourning this loss. And he was like, so that he didn't even, oh, like, yeah. that's so much more efficient. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. yeah. I love these little these little boys all interested in science and the mechanics of things mm -hmm. they can make it better. So, and do you feel like your kids just kind of took it in stride or did, do you feel like they had periods uh, that they went through their own kind of mourning? I, it's hard to tell. I feel like William just took it in stride. Um, he, he's pretty good with the flow and, you know, he's older. So I think he's got, you know, his own things that he's into. And I mean, he absolutely, they all adore Sophie, but mm -hmm. I feel like he's, he's kind of doing his own thing right now. Like, um, I think I told you last year on International Angelman Day, the mayor of our city made a proclamation about International Angelman Day on February 15th. And Sophie went down that. to town hall and, you know, they made a big to do about it. And that was the first time that like, I checked William's phone later, later in the week. And he had been texting like Jacob and all of his friends, like, look, how cool is this? And all the, you know, oh I'm thinking they were 14 at the time. All of his 14 year old friends who are boys were like, all boys. oh my gosh, Sophie's so cute. I just love her. And I was like, we have got some great friends. Like, I love that, you know, he wanted to put that out there and especially that they all were so positive and excited for him. That was mm -hmm. neat. But um, Henry and Vivian, um, Henry is like kind of my stoic, quiet person. Mm -hmm. And um, he, I think he has such a special 
role as Sophie's brother, like they just love each other. Like he is not super affectionate or nice even to everybody in our family. But I mean, she can, she can do anything in the world and he will love her and, you know, just be kind to her. Like we taught her sign language and one day, like the first sign she learned was more. And then the next sign she learned was please. And one day, shortly after that, he walked through the kitchen and she was sitting in her high chair playing with Play-Doh or something. And he got the last cookie out of, you know, the jar or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he walks by and he's like putting it up to his mouth and he looks over there and Sophie's going like, or she's going like this. And he just goes like this and hands it to her and walks out of the <laughs> kitchen. And I was like, oh my gosh, like wow. she totally has him wrapped around her finger. Yeah. So they have a very sweet relationship. And I actually really love seeing him be her brother because he does not act mm-hmm. that way to William and, uh, William and Vivian. Totally and brings then, a different side out, right? Totally. Yeah. I think, I mean, you, you know that they make their siblings better people, but I can absolutely see it with Henry that she just has brought out this whole other side of him that I don't know that mm-hmm. I would have seen without her. And then mm-hmm. um, Vivian, I think, I mean, she absolutely loves her and um, adores her. Um, Vivian has had a harder time because of the losses. You know, I was really sick when I had the ectopic rupture that was in the hospital for a long time with anemia and all of that. And then when I was pregnant with Emily, because I was advanced maternal age, we found out the gender super early and we had named her and Vivian was so excited, you know, uh, to have a sister finally wanting to share a room and do all the things with her. And so, um, it has been different than what she expected getting a sister. Um, we tried to put them in the same room, did not work. Um, Sophie is actually a very good sleeper now, um, but typically people with Angelman do not sleep. Like they can function on one hour of sleep a day. And so um, it's just a really, really hard road for the majority of Angelman parents because they still have to sleep. Even if their child doesn't need it to function, the parents do. So um, we thought about putting the girls together. We did put them together for a couple of nights, but I did not want to mess up Sophie's sleep in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. So we decided that was not a good thing. So um, I do think it's been hard for Vivian, but again, it has made her an even more empathetic and helpful person. Um, Last year, we went to the Angelman Family Conference put on by the ASF, and it's just like three or four days of like everyone with all their children. It's not just about the individual with Angelman syndrome, but there's like different conferences um, for like the siblings. They have sib shops um, for the parents. They have all different kinds of science updates and talking about IEPs for school, talking oh gosh, about. so amazing. I want to go. It is awesome. You should go with us next year. It's in Ohio, but um, they, they have it at a water Ohio. park. What? Oh, I just said I've never been to Ohio. Yeah, I haven't either, but we're going. So um, they have it. Last year, it was in uh, Round Rock at the Kalahari Resort. And I think they figured out that that was just perfect because it's an indoor water park with an outdoor pool. And one thing about children with Angelman is they love water. So like 
they would have been happy if we just sat in the pool all day. Um, the big kids were happy because they had a water park with, you know, huge water slides. And then there was an indoor bowling alley and an indoor arcade with like some roller coasters. But um, so they had a blast. So I think they're kind of sticking with that resort for a while because it just has such good amenities for everyone. But um, the so last year, you know, since we got the diagnosis, I've been on all the Facebook pages, meeting all the people, talking about all the things. And um, the the conference last year you know, Jared is very involved, but basically I'm telling him everything because he goes to work and he doesn't spend half of his day on Facebook. So, um, the science summit was, or the science part of it was just super interesting for him and the boys because Jared has a science background. And so they got a lot out of it. But then I think all three of my older kids really benefited from being around all of the siblings because, there were adult siblings running the sib shops and then there were kids their age who they made really good connections with. And so it was just such a blessing to see like, Oh my gosh, like there are a lot of families that look like ours, even if I don't see them every day, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, we're not just some weird anomaly, you know? And so so that was really good. And then Vivian, um, she met a girl with Angelman who was the same age as her. And had an iPad and was using her device to talk to Vivian and ask her questions and answer her questions. So I think that was really good for Vivian to see someone her age who, you know, has the same diagnosis as Sophie and is doing so well. So that was encouraging for all of us. Like we left, you know, we're not like we don't go to Disney or anything, but we left that week like riding on a high, like I feel like probably most people do when they, you know, come home from a cruise or Disney or something like we just felt so like our, our cups were all filled, you know, we were just so happy and positive about our future, because, you know, and it wasn't all roses, like there were kids there having active seizures while we were there. And, you know, people having you weren't alone. Right. Right. Yeah. And we were all seen and, you know, you're not a weirdo. <laughs> this yeah, is exactly. this is normal for us. So um, I, just... I admire so much how you like got the diagnosis and immediately jumped into not activism, but like, I don't know. Right. I just feel like you were just like, okay, this is what it is. I'm getting involved. You're doing all this stuff. And I don't know, you're, you're such a positive person. And I, <laughs> I, I feel like I struggle with that. So I really admire how you've just like gotten involved and thank you. Just accepted it's, everything and I don't know. I don't know if yeah. I've ever seen you actually have a bad day. Like how oh, long have you. we known each I know you have, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. You're just you're yeah. like the perfect I, mother for her. Oh, thank you. You're too sweet. Well, I do think that is part of my personality and I do think it can be sometimes to my detriment or I can come across too strong. Um, there was, a there was a mom recently in town for intensives because Sophie's therapy center, believe has intensives for all different disabilities, but, um, it's like three weeks of just like really strong therapy. And, you know, some people we've never done an intensive because we are fortunate enough to live, you know, a couple of miles from believe and we go there every week. Um, but there was a family in town with Angelman syndrome and the mom was posting on one of the Angelman pages. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I really want to meet you. You know, like I just, 
She's probably like, so happy. No, I feel like I'm like the, like, I just want to bring everyone in because I was there a while ago, you know, I was feeling yeah. like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And I just want to be like that mom at Albertsons, like, hey, it's going to be okay. Your kid's going to mm -hmm. be fine. You're going to be fine. Um, but the mom, um, we did make plans to hang out. And then, but it was at the very end of their intensives. And I think they were just tired and everything. And she was like, I just don't know if I'm ready. She was like, I'm still mm -hmm. very mad about this. And so, you know, my positivity sometimes can probably really annoy people like on the Angelman pages, because I'm not saying that there's no bad parts. Like there are parts that absolutely suck, but I just, I cannot dwell on that because mm -hmm. there's so much good. And as I told my kids the other day, like we were talking about something and it was Angelman related. And I said, you know, Sophie does have a disability and, you know, she does have a hard road ahead of her, but there are so many people who look typical to you who are dealing with depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts or, you know, anything. There's so many people dealing with stuff that we have no idea about. And so I'm going to present what we're dealing with in the most positive way. I'm not going to deny that there's hard parts. But I'm not going to dwell on those because there's nothing you can do dwelling on it. You know, you're not going right. to help anything if you're, you know, in a cave just crying about it. We're going to get out there, not try to change her, but we're going to try to make everything as good and easy as possible for her. And that will make things good and easy for us if we're feeling good about things, you know? Yeah. And I feel like you're so good at that. So even if you feel like it might be like, annoying or whatever sometimes I mean to be honest like my natural state is more cave-like <laughs> and so like I have to fight to be positive and so yeah. being around people like you who are naturally positive is probably really helpful you know and if people are just like I just need to be in my cave and being in darkness yeah. for a little bit that's okay but I yeah. think you probably bring so much light and encouragement to other people who are in the darkness and who are you know, deep mourning or, you yeah. know, like that mom said, just, you know, she's angry because they'll be yeah. like, it doesn't always have to be like this. Like, look at her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's such a gift. I hope so. I love that. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I do, yeah, I think with, um, with your family and with our family, having the older children, um, I think it was helpful for us because you see like, I mean, the strabismus was not a big deal, but like we've had, Henry has a peanut allergy, you know, like my other kids have other things going on. Mm -hmm. And at the time, like when my oldest had strabismus and I, he's telling me he sees double, that was the most important thing to me at that time. It's like, we've mm -hmm. got to get him seeing single, you know, and his eyes mm -hmm. in alignment. But looking back, I'm like, that that was not even a big issue. You know, like that happens. Right. That is so common. But I think, you know, if if you just see your problems only and you think that you're the only one with problems, it's just not a good way to be. Right. Yeah. This is the thing I love the most about doing home health is everyone's house is a mess. And yeah. like, I love it because, <laughs> you know, you go into people's house, you're like, I'm so sorry. It's a mess. And I'm like, no, it's not. You live here. This is not yeah. a mess. It's fine. Yeah. But like going in and just, it, and it's like that 
everyone's life's a mess to a certain extent. Oh, totally. Like, everyone's dealing yeah. with something, whether it's yeah. mental health issues or fighting in your marriage or whatever. Everyone has yeah. something. So yeah, it, it really brings things into perspective, right? When you Definitely. have like, but I will say it backfires because like one of my typically developing kids would get hurt or whatever. And I'd be like, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. Like you, you can walk, yeah. you're breathing. Yeah. And then I have to be like, Go put the boot back on. <laughs> right. They have needs too. I should probably yeah. get that x-rayed. Oh, yeah. it is broken. Great. I'm glad I waited two yeah. days. <laughs> awesome. Because yeah. you, you get like desensitized almost, but yeah. Yeah. It's such a good reminder. Yeah. Well, you're one of my favorite people in the whole world. Oh, thanks. You and too. I'm so grateful to get to know you or to know you and to get to hear more about your family and introduce you to everybody. And Sophie is literally like a living cherubim and she oh, brings so much light to the community and to the world. And I'm so grateful that she's here. Um, Thank you. I am and too. And all your kids, you just have like having a sibling like Sophie just brings the best out in people and just makes the world kinder and better. So I just want to thank you for being you and being amazing and saying yes to having Sophie and fighting uh, for her um, and being on so everyone else can get to know her. I hope to have you on again, but Absolutely. I loved hearing your story and I know everyone else loves it too. So thank you so much, thank Betsy, you. for being on. And thank you, Chastity. I'll see you um, around town. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Bye. Have a good one. Thanks. Right, you bye. Too. bye. Okay. You can hold on. Let me stop recording. Did you say everything?